So today we're going to hear the story of Pentecost as we find it in Acts chapter 2. A little bit about some understanding of the context of this scripture. Pentecost was actually a Jewish festival. It was theirs before it was ours, and now it's ours collectively. The festival for, of Pentecost for the Jewish community at the time of Jesus was recognizing really two things. It was recognizing and honoring the moment when the Torah was given to Moses. It also was a celebration of the first experience and celebration of summer. It was a festival time, that is to say. It was a time when people were expected to gather together as family and celebrate the way we do holidays. It was also a pilgrimage time, so that, like Passover, it was every Jew's hope and prayer that one day they would celebrate, at least one day, celebrate Pentecost in the holy city of Jerusalem. And so where we find Acts chapter 2 today, the holy city is filled with pilgrims who come from far all around the world to gather together so that they could celebrate the handing down of the Torah and the creation of a new community of faith that the Torah created. It was also in that city that the Jewish Christian church continued to gather together in house churches. It's now 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The church has still fundamentally understood itself to be a community of believers who gather together, almost hidden in house churches, to worship and honor Jesus Christ. But on this Sunday, something very extraordinary happened. After 50 days of prayer and worship, sharing in the sacrament of the Holy Communion, they were gathered together there in that house, and upon them came the almighty power of God that called it the Holy Spirit. And as you will soon hear when Barb reads, there were unmistakable signs and symbols that came to their mind about the image of what was happening. We call Pentecost the birthday of the church. Because like the Pentecost for the Jewish community, it was an outpouring, a gift of God to the then church, to create the now church. A church in a community that was very different, very focused, and very dynamic. It's Pentecost. And I invite you to hear the story. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other language as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medians, Elamites, and residents of Macedonia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygian, Pomphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belong to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our language we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to other, one another, what does this mean? 
the Word of God for the people of God. Join with me in a word of prayer. Who knows, God? Maybe it's today. For as they gathered together and worship long ago, a worship that they were familiar with and a community that they knew pretty well, in a way in which was completely unscripted, you took control. We pray that in some way and in some fashion that be true every Sunday for the church, every time two or three are gathered together, and especially we pray, yes, greedily, that it would happen to us. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Week before last, there were about 10, 11 of us or so from our congregation, staff and laity alike, who were down at the Detroit Annual Conference in session. We were representing you and helping to guide the church in its work and direction in the coming year. And as we were gathered together, we wanted a way to communicate to each other, so uh, Colin Godfrey set up a group text. So we could say, okay, a Clarkson delegation, we're going to meet outside of Dawson Auditorium. You could send out the text and all your folks would get it. And we could also comment about the speakers going, well, that was a good point or whatever we wanted to say. But you want to know what the most dominating conversation was of that group text for the week? Well, I'm going to tell you. It had to do with power cords. Power cords that had been lost. Power cords that were being sought after, yearned after. There are at least two power cords that were lost by members of our delegation. And when you lose a power cord, it is a moment of panic for some. Have you ever lost a power cord? I'm talking about the things that plug in your laptops, your iPads, your cell phones. Have you ever lost one of those or misplaced one? Have you ever done so when your phone or iPad or computer is about ready to run out of juice? It can get really exciting for people to hunt for power cords. You know, sometimes it's so hard to discover even which ones you want to use. I reach into my bag and I can't figure out which one to pull out or go after. I mean, it can become rather cumbersome if you don't have a power cord. And there are folks who, quite frankly, when they can't find their power cord, when they are running out of juice, they will reorganize their entire day to find a place to plug in. We will stop and go home. We will pause longer in the airport by one of those places, the recharging stations. Because God forbid, you get to the moment When you don't have juice, when you can't get on your cell phone, or surf the internet, or text, or tweet. You look like a bunch of tweeters to me. I know you know what I'm talking about. We know the value of being plugged in. We we search after it. And we make plans to make sure that we do not run into a place where we will be out of power which is, for me, then, interesting that we in this generation sometimes still come up to this holy Sunday we call Pentecost and feel somewhat confused and mystified. Pentecost is 
one of the least celebrated, least understood, high holy days of the church. For many of us, we're not even aware that it is Pentecost Sunday and so the preacher advises us until we come in and we see the altar looking like it's symbolically on fire. Pentecost is confusing to us in the church. We don't fully understand what it's about or even what it means for us. Fundamentally, I want you to understand today this simple message. It's about a decision and an opportunity for us to be plugged in. It's an opportunity for the church to understand where it gets its power, how it exists, and why in any way, form or fashion, it can do anything in the world as God asks us to do. In that first Pentecost, they were gathered together in that house church. It was a typical gathering, except that it was Pentecost for the Jewish community. There was all kind of activity going out around that church, that house. And to their amazement, and nothing in the scripture bulletin said this was going to happen, God came through the lives of those gathered in worship, and it is as if they exploded with power. They were described as those who had their hair on fire. And they were described as those who began to speak in tongues that they did not know. Now, this is not the speaking in tongues you've heard about in other places. This is about speaking languages that they did not previously know, but were able to be known by those around the house church. In other words, it would be as if this group right here, suddenly someone spoke in Swahili, and someone else in French, and someone else in another language, and soon we were speaking all the national languages we could think of. Gathered around that house church, there were those who had gathered in the holy city from all of those places, and they were shocked to discover that there was someone in that house, so loud was the commotion, so great was the power, that they could hear somebody speaking in their native tongue. And they were shocked to discover they were Galileans. Oh my God, they're Galileans. The people you would least expect to have that kind of ability or power. It's the birthday of the church. It is the day when God gives to the church community the power that changes everything about who we are and what we do. The church before Pentecost were those who gathered together with similar friends, fellow disciples they'd been walking with for some time. And they were there to worship, and they were there to honor God, and they were there to support each other in their faith walk. And that was about it. But after Pentecost, those same people changed entirely from an inward-focused to an outward-focused community. They couldn't get out of the house fast enough and to go out into the world and tell the rest of the world about the good news of Jesus Christ. They were shocked that when they went out in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, they could do things they never thought possible. Some could heal. Some could help interpret the story of Jesus Christ so that others could accept him as their Lord and Savior. They went out and literally began to convert the world because of the power of the Holy Spirit. 
That is what Pentecost means for the church. It is the day that we get fully plugged in to our power. The church knew how to praise the name of Jesus, but they did not know how to find the power to go out and be the community of faith that God always intended the church to become. Pentecost, that changed. That is why we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. We say things like, come Holy Spirit, come. Because quite frankly, we desperately need the Holy Spirit again to come and revitalize and remind the church of its focus and where it gets its power. All too many times in my work and mentoring other clergy, I hear them talk about their churches that are small and inward focused and they're comfortable coming together on a regular basis to worship Jesus and to be with their friends. All the while, they're almost oblivious to the fact there's anything going on outside their walls and feel little energy or passion or power to go out into the world and connect with those outside the walls to give them the good news of Jesus Christ. We need Pentecost again. You may have heard through various news sources the recent survey done by the Pew Organization about religion in America. It caused quite a panic among some because it identified the fact that in a few number of years, in the last, uh, let's see, eight years, the number of Christians who proclaimed to accept, number of Americans who accept, who proclaimed Christianity as their faith dropped by almost 10% in eight years. Talked about the number of folks who are leaving predominant churches, mainline and other, and who are not professing any affiliation with any organized religion. That is true across the board age-wise. It is especially true among millennials. Why does this happen? Well, there are a lot of reasons. And then if you want to go Google about the Pew uh, uh, poll, you can do that and read some of that. But here's at least one of the reasons that I know to be true. Many millennials are no longer interested in the Christian faith because, quite frankly, they are so bored with the church. They're bored with the things the church cares about. They simply do not care to battle over the things the church seems so important to fight each other over. They are not interested in the battle over homosexuality. They see it as a justice issue and they see it as exclusionary, and they see Christians as hostile and judging, and they, quite frankly, want nothing to do with it. They are bored with a community that continues to simply enjoy being with each other but has nothing relevant to say or do with the rest of the world. And they are frustrated when the church attempts to become hip and cool for the sake of being hip and cool. They yearn for authentic people who have an authentic faith and something actually to say that affects their life where they live. How can they find meaningful relationship? How can they find purpose in their life and in their work? Where can they find a community that accepts them and loves them unconditionally and allows them to grow as God works with them and allows them to have voice? It was interesting, not so much hearing the report of the Pew study, but to hear churches react. 
as if somehow the church has to now get redesigned. We need to bring in spiritual decorators to come in and change the way we do everything. It's not what happened at Pentecost. They didn't do any outward changing. They did inward changing. The Holy Spirit came upon the church and said, get off your old antiquated arguments and behavior and go out and be the dynamic people of Jesus Christ caring for people out in the world. That's Pentecost. When Pentecost happened on that first Pentecost day we just read about and heard about, nobody was bored. Nobody was sitting around going, well, I guess we got nothing to do until next Sunday. It was an explosion of passion to say, I got to get out of here so I can get to others and tell them about what's happening in my life and what God is doing in the world. I don't want to sit around with others who want to be cynical and negative about the future. I want to go out and change the future. John Wesley, the spiritual father of our denomination, was passionately committed to his religion. He was ordained, and he was completely incompetent in touching other people's lives. He was a miserable failure when he came to America for, with both Native Americans and also those from England. It wasn't until he went back to England and allowed himself to be open. And in a moment of vulnerability, he felt his heart strangely warm. That is to say, the power of God touched him. And all the intellect, all the theology, all the ritual that he knew how to do so well paled in comparison by his passion to make sure other people's lives and hearts were warmed as well by the power of God. It's Pentecost Sunday, and we are invited to be the community of believers as God always intended us to be, filled with joy. My God, people, when you walk out of here today, will they think you've been to Pentecost Sunday or to a funeral? When you sit around where you are today or tomorrow as a community, are you going to be the cynical jerk talking about how everything's wrong with the world? Are you going to be the one not talking as an optimist, but as a faith believer who knows that the world really can be better if only we dare allow God to take charge of our lives? Are we ready to explode out into the world for the 200 kids that will come, not simply so we will give them a nice, fun week, but we will change their lives forever for the sake of Jesus Christ. Are we ready to go into the city of Pontiac, not thinking we're the great people from Clarkson who will go in and save Pontiac, but rather, as humble servants, share our story with them and allow both of us to be saved to the glory of God? Community of faith that is touched by Pentecost looks an awful lot, a lot like the one Joel describes in chapter 2. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men and women shall see visions, and on the male and female slaves in those days I will pour out the Holy Spirit. Fundamentally, the church has to ask the question, are we giving people dreams? Are we inspiring them and you and me to believe in a future that we're so excited about, we live it in everything we do. Is the ministry that you're leading in this church, is the life that you're leading in your home, inspiring others by the power of God? It's Pentecost Sunday and it can happen.
It's documented. And it's experienced. How how's that happen? Some of us, the traditional way it's been for over 2,000 years, folks, it's time we finally figured it out. How do you get the Holy Spirit to empower your life? You do the same things the, the, the disciples did. You gather together in a community of faith that's distinctively yearning for it. You, you get engaged with scriptures. You become familiar with God's holy word. And you, gain, you engage actively in prayer, including the prayer, come Holy Spirit, come. You dare to ask for it. Because in asking for it, you are prepared for it. This is Pentecost Sunday. Today, I, in the name of Jesus Christ, am standing on the foundation of 2,000 years built upon chapter 2, with all of those bizarre, hard words, say this simple truth. The Holy Spirit lives, the Holy Spirit is moving, and it is touching and blessing and empowering people. So today, our only question is this. Not is the Holy Spirit real or will it come, but will you let it come to you? Will you let it come to us? It begins with a simple prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. May we continue to pray it until we feel the Spirit and then explode to the glory of God.